As you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. I'm super excited uh, to be here uh, this evening. Um, as always, just first and foremost, I just want to give all honor, praise, and glory to the Lord uh, for all He's done in my life and for the opportunity that I have uh, to be here. I also want to honor our senior pastor. It's nice to actually be able to preach with him here so I can give honor to his face. Uh, just for the record, I do honor you when you're not here as well. I'm not just doing it because you're there. Um, so, all honor to our senior pastor, uh, Pastor Philip, fantastic leader, a great mentor. And again, I'm not just saying it because he's here. Uh, and honor as well to my wife, who sadly again can't be here this evening. Unfortunately, uh, our little man is still a little under the weather. He is recovering um, slowly but surely. Uh, so your prayers for him would be very much appreciated indeed. All right, so before we dive into the Word, let's just open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. Uh, we just give you all honor. We give you all glory. We adore you in this place, Father God. And I just pray tonight that you would use me. I pray, Lord God, that you would just give me the words to speak. I pray for open hearts and open minds, Lord God, and I pray that people leave here this evening changed. And we just thank you, Lord, for all it is that you are and all it is that you do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. So, as I said, super excited to be uh, speaking to you tonight. Just continuing the Salt and Light series. How many are enjoying this series? Because I can tell you I am. Very much indeed. It's always uh, great, I think, just to be challenged a little bit, just to uh, take a step back and look at ourselves now and again. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think it's very, very important that we do, that we take a look at ourselves, take a step out, and as objectively as we can do, just look at how uh, it is that we're doing compared to how uh, you know, we should be doing. And I think that's a very, very good thing. So uh, as you know, on Sundays... We've been talking about uh, the, the things about being a Christian, what it is uh, that we should be doing as a Christian. And on a Wednesday evening, we've been uh, kind of self-examining. We've been looking at ourselves, not with a view to becoming condemned or any kind of you know, feeling bad about ourselves, but really just to look and, as I say, compare uh, what it is that we are doing, how it is that we're living, compared to the way that we are finding out we should be as Christians because there's certainly responsibilities that we have as Christians. There are things expected of us as Christians. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We should be different from the crowd. We should stand out a little bit. And we should be that salt and we should be that light. So we've covered lots of topics on the Sundays. This past Sunday, uh, Pastor Philip did a, gave an awesome message about uh, you know, loving as a Christian. And obviously how important that is. And the fact that you know, we don't need a sign around our neck. We shouldn't need a sign around our neck saying, I am a Christian. That should stand out. We should look different uh, from everybody else just by the things that it is that we're doing. So we shouldn't need that sign. We should already, as I said, be displaying in other ways the fact that we believe in Christ. And on Wednesdays, as I said, we've been looking at ourselves uh, just to make sure uh, that we are coming into line with the way that it should be. Hopefully the idea is, is that at the end of this month, having come out of this Salt and Light series, we're all just a little bit better. 
Amen? That we're all just a little bit better because we do have to remember, each and every one of us, we are a work in progress. And there's one thing for sure, for as long as we're alive, we will never meet the mark. We will never become perfect for as long as we're alive on this planet. But we should always be looking to improve ourselves. It's key. That's important. That's not just for our benefit that we actually improve ourselves, but that has a positive impact then on all those people that we do life with. If I improve as a person, if I improve as a man, it means I improve as a husband, it means I improve as a father, it means I improve as a friend, as an employee. In every aspect of my life, it means that I'm improving and I'm becoming better. And I think that's something that we should all strive for. Frankly, I believe if we're not doing that, if we're not looking to improve, then what's the point? What's the point? So tonight, we're going to be looking at an interesting topic. Uh, it's an important topic. Uh, I'm going to be covering lots of ground and bouncing backwards and forwards. So uh, get ready and uh, stick with me if you can. Uh, we've been looking on Wednesday evenings on what it means to believe in God, but then, but something. We've been looking at what it means to be a Christian atheist. In other words, we say we're a Christian. Uh, we come to church. We attend church. Uh, but we're not actually acting outside of church. We're not actually acting as though we believe in Christ. So that's what a Christian atheist is. Someone who professes to be a Christian, but then lives as though he doesn't actually exist. It was powerful, powerful thought. All right, so tonight, uh, what we're looking at is this. When you believe in God, but don't want to go overboard. Don't want to go overboard. What does that mean? Well, we're going to be looking at a different aspect of our relationship with God. What's your relationship with God? Uh, what it means to other people? What other people see your relationship with God to be like? And what it should look like to other people? So we're going to be looking at you know, what people see in your relationship with God and what it should like look like, as I should say, to other people. So generally speaking, as people, we don't normally like to be too different. Everyone agree with that? We like to talk the talk sometimes and, and say, you know, all puff our chests out and say, oh, well, I'm unique. I like to be different. But when the rubber hits the road, you know, when we're actually in a position where we could stand out from the crowd, uh, if it's a big crowd, we don't like to. We'd much rather uh, actually join in with the crowd and blend in, so to speak. All right? So as Christians, we are called to be set apart. That's important. We remember that at all times. We're called to be set apart. We're not called to just fit in with the crowd. We should look different to those people around us that don't follow God. We should look different to them, and we should look different to anybody who's looking from the outside in. So here's a question I want to ask yourself. Ask yourself this, just how different am I? Honestly, how different am I? When I'm hanging out with non-believers or I'm working alongside non-believers, is there something different about me? Or am I blending in completely? Because if you're blending in completely, if you're blending in perfectly to the surroundings and to the people that you're with, if they are non-believers, then you're not being salt and you're not being light. All right, Pete, so are you saying that I need to be a complete, total Jesus freak around people? No, I'm not saying that either. In fact, there's absolutely a balance that needs to be struck. Because if you're out and about and you're being a complete Jesus freak, then you're going to turn people off. You're going to turn people away from the Christian faith. You're going to be turning people away from Jesus Christ. And that's not the purpose. We're not talking about going out with complete reckless abandon and, and making a fool of yourself in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about striking a balance. 
Okay, but we, can, uh, we should not be embarrassed about the fact that we believe in God. We shouldn't cause embarrassment to other people about the fact that we believe in God, but we should not be embarrassed about it. We shouldn't hide from it, and we shouldn't hide the fact that we are believers. Because if we do that, then, as the scripture mentions, what we are then is a light under a basket. We're a light under a basket, and that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be a light in darkness. Our light is supposed to shine. And the key here is this. It's not to force the light or fake the light, but it's to let our light shine. So the light that we are as individuals, we need to let that light shine. So hopefully by the end of this message, I will have explained what that means well enough that some of you will leave here tonight shining brighter than when you arrived. Why? Because you are called to be salt and light. And not just for the purpose of doing good stuff and making a positive impact on people. That's very important. But that is just the beginning. What I'm going to be teaching on tonight is taking that one step further. Not just making a difference in people's day-to-day lives, but making a difference to them eternally. I'm talking about attracting people to Christ. I'm talking about fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm talking about you fulfilling the great calling that is on your life. And that's to spread the good news and to make disciples of people. How many people here would like to make an eternal difference? Well, I'm here tonight to help you do that. And by doing that, I'm fulfilling part of my calling. Okay, look at this. Ephesians 4, 11, 12. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So our job as pastors here is to teach you. It's to equip you. It's to prepare you to go out and build up the church, to build the body of Christ. Our responsibility is to equip, in other words, to give you the tools to do what you are supposed to do. Our role is clear. It's to make sure that if you are not spreading the word, it has nothing to do with you being unequipped to do so. So it's our job to give you the tools to be able to do what you're supposed to do. Now we here, all of us at this church, take what we do very seriously. We have a huge responsibility in God's eyes. But here's a newsflash. So do you. The scripture doesn't say their responsibility is to build up the church, the body of Christ. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people. And that is you. You are God's people. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we call the Great Commission. That's a commandment from Jesus Christ. And that's not aimed at the pastors, at the teachers, and the evangelists only. That's aimed at each and every one of us who profess to believe in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look tonight at what's involved with attracting people to Christ. And we're going to start where it has to start. And that is in your relationship with God. And your perspective of your relationship with God. And I want to start by giving you a couple of reference points, okay? Some guidance on where we should be coming from regarding our relationship. 
So first up, let's look at this scripture. 2 Samuel 6, 14, 16. And it reads like this. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Jumping forward a few verses. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So, am I saying that the first part of attracting people to Christ is that we have to dance around in our underwear? No. Seriously, no. Please don't. What I'm saying is, though, that we have to develop a deep-seated and unquestionable passion for our God. We have to feel so strongly toward him, so thankful to him, that our own personal pride and fear are non-existent. David was celebrating God. He was praising God. He was worshipping God, unashamedly and without thinking about what people thought of him. He wasn't being deliberately in your face to the people around him or obnoxious and look at me. He was simply overcome with emotion toward God and praising without caring who saw him. We need that passion for God because that will show in all that we do. Not just in our outward expressions of praise and worship, but through the way that we act and the way that we speak. Our actions display our feelings. They display our passions. They display our loyalties. Where we invest our time, our money, our energies shows others what it is that we enjoy and what it is that we love. Now, we all express ourselves differently, but our love, however we display it, should be displayed. However we show it, we should show it. Now, having said that, it's more than just expressing ourselves differently. Some of us feel differently. What do I mean? As Christians, we have all accepted Jesus Christ. We've all accepted Jesus Christ into our lives. So each and every person here who professes to be a Christian has accepted Jesus Christ. So we're all on the same playing field as regards that. Now, having established that we've all accepted Jesus Christ, it's my experience that there is a range of devotion. So whilst everybody has accepted Jesus Christ, some people are more devoted to Jesus Christ. Now, those people who are more devoted are not more saved. They are not going to heaven any more than anybody else. Everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts is going to heaven. But there is a difference between some people as regards the devotion that we have. So acceptance is something that we all have in common. 
Jesus Christ is something that we all have in common. But our devotion is not necessarily something that we have in common. Let me show you this as another example. We're going to be looking at the account of Martha and Mary when Jesus actually visits their home. But before we do that, I'm going to set up the scene for you. And we're going to look at the beginning of Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So Jesus up until this point has had the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. And now what he's done is he's called together a group of people and he's called 72 people and he's assigned them all as disciples. And he right now is actually still in his mission field, if you like, in the area of Galilee. But he's actually moving down now and he's actually spreading his ministry down from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And the reason he's doing that is basically, as Pastor Phil mentioned on Sunday... His ministry is going to end up and finish in Jerusalem. That's where all the prophecies said that he was actually going to be uh, killed and crucified. He's actually going to be crucified just outside the city walls in Jerusalem. And so he is actively moving his ministry down from Galilee down through to Jerusalem. So he's taken 72 people, called them disciples, split them up into groups of two. So there are 36 sets of two disciples. And he's sent them out down from Galilee through Samaria down to Jerusalem, and he's given them instruction to visit all of the cities and towns that Jesus is going to be. Now, what's their role? He's talking about the harvest. What does he mean by the harvest? He means people who are going to be turned to Christ, who are going to become and accept Jesus Christ. Without meeting him, these 72 people are going to go down, and they're going to do what? They are going to prepare the way for Jesus coming down to Jerusalem. So these 72 people are going out and preparing the way for Jesus' first coming. Now why do I say this? Because we are called to prepare the way for Jesus' second coming. That's what we are called to do. The same way as the 72 are called. We are called in exactly the same way to prepare the way for the second coming. So, Jesus is now left, he's set off from Galilee, okay, and we're going to pick up the story now, verse 38, same chapter, Luke 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. This certain village is actually called Bethany, spoken about in the book of John, two miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus already knows Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. In some translations, it actually talks there and says that, Martha, you are distracted. You are distracted by many things. 
And this is her preparing the food. Now, you've probably heard messages preached before about this story, about Martha and Mary, and comparisons between Martha and Mary, and whether or not Martha is actually doing the right thing by serving Jesus Christ, or whether Mary is actually doing the right thing by just sat listening to Jesus Christ. And here's my interpretation for what it's worth. They're both doing the right thing. They're both already accepted Jesus Christ. So they're, they're both accepted Jesus Christ. And they are both devoted to Jesus Christ. But Martha is showing her devotion by serving him. In fact, Martha is well known in the town and in the area as being a great host. They had parties around that house. You know, if anyone was, anyone was going to be in Bethany or anywhere around Bethany and they needed a place to go party... Martha was the girl. She was the one that was known as a good hostess. So it was her... There's another reference to Martha and Mary and Jesus at another time. But it says there as well, Martha's preparing a meal again. And again, Mary is at Jesus' feet. So it's not unusual that this took place. Now we have to know as well that Jesus is actually in the house right now. Martha's preparing the meal. But Jesus has come down from Galilee and it's every likelihood that he's got the 12 disciples there with him as well and the whole entourage. So the house is full. Mary's at his feet. Martha's in the kitchen. Why do I say all this? Because devotion comes in different ways. Your devotion will display itself in a different way to my devotion. But here's the key. They're both as important as each other. Martha and Mary are doing two separate things. But take this on board. Jesus is teaching, and he's preaching, and he's giving out his message. He's giving out his instructions. He's giving out his guidance. So if they're sat there long enough, it's likely that Jesus is going to come to the point where he's teaching that faith without works is dead. In other words, you take on board everything that I'm teaching you here, but if you don't go out and apply it, then it's pointless. So Mary is sat at his feet, but she is going to hear him teach. You need to get up and go out and do something. Likewise, if they're there long enough, Jesus is going to be calling Martha over and have her and instruct her that serving all the time like that and missing out on the teaching is not a good thing either. Does this make sense? So from that perspective, they're both devoted, they're both displaying that, but they both need to get balance. Okay, so let's look in the book of James. All right, we're told quite clearly that faith requires action. So Mary can't stay sat there at his feet and just learn and just learn and just learn. James 2, 14, 17 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. And Jesus tells us then, clearly in Matthew 7, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. But the opposite is also true enough. We can't just be doers and not believers. We can't just serve and not take time to strengthen our relationship with God. So both are important. Both Martha and Mary were doing the right thing. Neither were doing the wrong thing, but at some point they both would have needed to do the other thing. You still all with me? So serving is important. Learning and being devoted that way is also important. But they both had common ground. They both had accepted Jesus Christ. 
They were both devoted to Jesus Christ, and they both wanted to serve Jesus Christ. They were devoted to and wanted to serve Jesus, the person. Jesus, the person. I'm going to look at three key points on how we attract people to Jesus. And my first point comes straight from that scenario. Number one, you need to know that Jesus is a person. What do I mean? To be devoted to Jesus Christ, we have to see Jesus Christ as a person, not a project. Christianity is not about a cause. It's about Christ as a person. It's so easy to look at Christianity as a cause. It's so easy to look at being a Christian as being part of a team. It can make us think that we're trying to recruit people from darkness into light, from the dark side into the light, from evil into good, from the bad team to the good team, from Alabama to LSU. It's basically looking at it from that perspective as a cause. And that's true to a point. But the problem with that is, firstly, that it can lessen the importance to us of speaking to people about Christ. If we don't feel like talking about the cause, we're not going to talk about the cause. It can lessen the importance of us talking to other people about Jesus Christ. But it's also harder for us, if we do decide to talk about it, it's harder for us to attract people to a cause than it is to attract people to a person. It's vital that we don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is a person because it shapes the relationship that we have with our Lord and Saviour. And our relationship with him will completely dictate the way that we speak about him to others. Now, Jesus is not like any other person. I'm not saying that he is the same as you and I. But our God, made up of all three of his forms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has feelings. I'm not saying that God is human, but you have to remember, we were created in his image, which means by definition, we have some things in common with him. And one of those things is this, he has feelings, God has feelings, the Holy Spirit has feelings. Let me show you in scripture how God is affected by what it is that we do. Stay with me, 2 Samuel eleven twenty-seven. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, that's Bathsheba, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, get this, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. 1 Samuel 12, 22, the Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name, for it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. And moving into the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, who's now, we are in constant communication with. The Holy Spirit is present within us. We're in constant communication with him. And Ephesians 4, Paul tells us this. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So understanding the fact that God's feelings are affected by what we do, it makes our relationship with him more personal. It makes it what it should be, completely personal. If we know Jesus that way, personally and relationally, that's how we will talk about him to other people. That's how we will introduce him to others, as a person. 
And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be introducing him as a person, not as a position. Jesus Christ is not a position that we're coming from. It's not a political position. It's not a religious position. Every other God out there is dead. Every other religion out there is a religious stance, a religious position. Jesus Christ is not a position. Jesus Christ is a person. Jesus is not what people need. Jesus is who people need. And you need to know this as well. Jesus is alive. Martha and Mary were devoted to Jesus, the person. They served Jesus, the person. They learned from Jesus, the person. And we can do the very same thing. To Mary and Martha, Jesus was and is. She, they were there with him. To them, he was and is. And that's who he should be to us. We can read that story and stories like it too often and read about who Jesus was. In historical terms, we can read about who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He came to change the world and he did save sinners. And while he was alive, he did make a difference to who he came into contact with. What we need to realise is this. And what we need to live out is this. He is the Messiah. He is changing the world. And he is alive and making a difference to who he comes into contact with. He's not a was. He's an is. I'm not different to who I was eight years ago because some guy was in a house 2,000 years ago. I'm different to who I was eight years ago because Jesus is alive today. Because the Holy Spirit is in me today. And because God is still sovereign today. Now, when you let Jesus do it to you, he'll change you from the inside out. And I, don't, I did not know a single word of scripture outside of the Lord's Prayer when he healed me from the inside out. So it wasn't based on what I knew about Jesus Christ. It wasn't based on some historical idea that I had that Jesus Christ did this or he did that. Or he went to Martha's or he didn't go to Martha's. I knew none of that. It wasn't based on who I thought Jesus Christ was. My being saved was based on who I knew Jesus to be in that moment. Jesus is alive. Am I the only one that thinks that? Don't make me take my clothes off and dance in my underwear. Jesus is alive. So when you let him do it to you, he'll change you from the inside out. I hadn't praised him, I hadn't worshipped him, not for one moment in my life before he broke my chains and my bondages. And I'm not standing here today because I'm radical. I'm standing here today because God is radical. Because Jesus Christ is radical. I'm standing here not because I'm strong, but I'm standing here because of Jesus Christ's strength today. So don't tell me that Jesus was, period. Yes, he was. But he is. And he always will be. So Jesus is a person. The second thing we need to do to attract people to Jesus is this. We need to earn a hearing. We need to earn a hearing. What do I mean by that? It means that we need to put ourselves in a position as best as we can where we have an opportunity to not just speak to people about Jesus, but where we have the opportunity to speak to people about Jesus when they are prepared to listen. 
We're going to have moments where spontaneously we get to speak to complete strangers about Jesus Christ. I did it this afternoon. Just before service, I went to get some milk from the dollar store and there's a guy sat on a bench. So I came out with my bottle of milk and sat down next to him and had a chat with him. Now it turns out he knows Jesus Christ. He's been living on the streets for 10 years and God willing, he's going to be in service on Sunday morning. But I was speaking to him just completely spontaneously and out of the blue. Those opportunities are out there. But they're not always going to come along. And they're not always effective. But you need to be alert and be prepared for opportunities like that. But you also need to be alert and prepared to speak to those people who know that you know Jesus Christ. People who are prepared to talk to you when they know who it is that you are. People who are prepared to speak to you when they know that you are a Christian. And this is key. You need to be ready to earn a hearing by doing good. Show someone Jesus Christ before you speak to them about Jesus Christ. Because by showing someone Jesus Christ, you are going to be able to earn a hearing with them. They are going to listen to what it is that you have to say. We're talking about salt and light. This series is about salt and light. We spoke about the verses from Matthew. Let's look at verse 16, which is at the end of that passage of Scripture. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your good deeds shine. By doing good to others, they will see Jesus Christ working through you. And you may well then have the opportunity to give him glory in a conversation with whoever you've done the good deed for. It might just be a seed planted. You might just do something for somebody and they'll say, thank you so much. You know what? You don't see this very, very often these days. And you might say to them, well, all praise to God because he led me to do this for you. You have a blessed day. And you might leave at that point. You're not beating them overhead with it. You're not cramming it down the throat. If the conversation opens up, then obviously you speak to them. But if not, then don't force the issue. Walk away. You have planted a seed. Who knows? The next time that somebody does something nice for them, they may have the opportunity to water the seed that you planted. And you, in turn, may get the opportunity to water a seed that somebody else has planted. So the next time somebody else, you have the opportunity to do good for somebody, do good. You know what? Do good just for the sake of doing good. Do good because we're expected to do good. Do good because you're called to do good. But once you've done good because you're called to do good, know that by doing good, you may well have earned a hearing. You may well have earned the opportunity to speak to them about Jesus Christ. Be alert to the opportunity. Colossians 4, 5 to 6 says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Be aware of the fact that you are always on display. You are always representing. You are either representing good or you're representing bad. You're representing good or you're representing evil. You're representing God or not. Let your, com- excuse me, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Display Christ. People will be attracted to him through you. I was. That's how I was saved. I saw Jesus Christ through Molly. Molly never, ever preached to me about Jesus Christ. I was speaking to her online for 24 days and then just came to the conclusion there was something about her. 
And I even asked, what is different about you? I used those words, what is different about you? And she told me about her relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was it. She shone. I can't put it any other way to you. I saw Jesus Christ through her. I was attracted to Jesus Christ through her. I was attracted to Jesus Christ through her before I was attracted to her. And that's the absolute truth. And she didn't know what she was doing. And when I asked her, to, that I, when I told her I wanted what she had, she didn't even know the sinner's prayer. She'd never led anybody to Christ. She put me on hold. She told me to come back in an hour so she could go away and Google how to lead someone to Christ. So she never forced the issue. She didn't know what she was doing. She had no clue. But she was shining with the love of Jesus Christ. And thank God. Thank God she was obedient. Thank God. I don't even want to know where I would be right now. Frankly, I'd, I'd probably be dead. And I'm not being dramatic. I would probably be dead if it wasn't for that. Let him shine through you. Display Christ. Forgive my voice, please. Okay, so we need to earn the right with people. We also need to earn the trust of people that what we have to say is truth. When we get the opportunity to speak, they need to believe what it is that we're saying. If we're speaking one thing and we're doing another, why would they ever believe what we're saying? If we're doing what we know not to do and we're saying that we don't do what we're not to do, or you shouldn't do what we're not to do, then they're not going to listen to us. Do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work with your kids. It's not going to work with adults either. If you're saying, don't do as I do, just do as I say, it's not going to work. It's not going to work with somebody that you're talking to about salvation. So, serve others. Do good. Carry out acts of kindness. Carry them out just unexpectedly, randomly, sacrificially. Look for opportunities to help people, to serve people. You know, stay in prayer. Keep yourself alert and aware. And do what you're guided to do. Do it carefully. If you're approaching strangers and stuff, I've had bad experiences with it, I can assure you. That I won't go into too much detail with. But be careful as you're approaching people, complete strangers. Okay? Be careful about it. But do it if you're led to do it. Do it sensitively. But do it sacrificially. Do it unexpectedly. And don't do it for anything in return. You will be amazed the response that you get from people. Just offering just to, I don't know, just carry somebody's shop into their car. Just randomly somebody's there buying a, a, you know, a bag of milk and a packet of bacon. A bottle of milk and a, a packet of bacon. Just pay for it. Just random acts of kindness because it can open up opportunities, can open up conversation, it can earn you a hearing. Okay, so last key to attracting people to Jesus. Number three, share the problem and the answer. Share the problem and the answer. When you are speaking about the Lord with people, about God or Jesus or salvation or being a Christian, don't get stressed and think that you are supposed to know everything. This will prevent people from even striking up a conversation because they think they have to know everything. And I know I've touched on this before, but this is key. You do not need to know everything. Molly led me to Christ and knew nothing. Nothing. She had no clue how to lead somebody to Christ. And I just get choked up every time I think about it. If she'd have, if she'd have not spoken about Jesus Christ because she didn't know every word in the Bible... If she'd have run away scared when I asked her about it because she didn't know how to lead me to Christ, I would not be here today. I would not be here today. And that's a frightening thought for me. 
It's not complex. It's actually very, very simple. Salvation is very, very simple. Here is the key. There is a problem and there is a solution. The problem is we're all sinners. The solution is Jesus died and rose again to pay the price for our sin. That's it. That's salvation. There's nothing more complex about it. There's nothing more complicated about it. If you need scriptures to refer to, here they are. Romans 3, 23 through 24. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That right there is all you need to know to help somebody get saved. Write that down. Write that scripture down. You are now equipped. Congratulations. You are now qualified. Congratulations. You do not need to know any more of this to lead somebody to Christ than that scripture right there. Because that explains it all. So how does someone become saved if they want to be? Well, Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's it. So how do you help them? You lead them in prayer. So you've struck up a conversation. You've, you've basically told them and explained to them about the fact that everybody's sinners but there is Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay for our sin. Okay, and they said, well, I want some of what you've got. What is it you do? You lead them in prayer. You lead them in the sinner's prayer. All right, the words that you use are actually less important than the content. Okay, you can remember what the sinner's prayer actually involves uh, by this way. You can think of it this way. The sinner's prayer ABCs. Okay, A, B, and C. A, admission. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner. B, belief. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross and rose again. And C, confession. You confess your sins and ask Jesus into your heart. Any words that do those things is a sinner's prayer. Anything that does those things, because the important thing is, is somebody admits that they're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died and rose again for to pay for their sins. And that is that. And there's an example on the screen. And this example is basically the sinner's prayer that Billy Graham uses. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen. That information I've just given to you there took up less than half a page in my notes. That information I just gave to you there, do you understand the power that's in that information right there? Do you actually understand the power of the information I just gave to you there? You can take somebody who's going to hell and send them to heaven. You can take, because they're going to have an eternal life somewhere. We can very easily turn the blinkers on. We can have blindness to the fact sometimes. We can think it's okay if I don't speak to them about going to heaven. It's okay if I don't talk to that person there and see if they've actually got their life right with God. It's okay if they don't go to heaven. It's not okay if they don't go to heaven. Because if they don't go to heaven, they've got to go somewhere. And they're going to hell. And that's the reality. If you believe in God, you believe in Satan. You believe in heaven, you believe in hell. They both exist. They're both as real as each other. So you have the power. Now you are fully equipped. You have no excuse. You are fully equipped. That's, that's our role. I've fulfilled my role and my calling tonight. You are equipped as God's people now. And it sounds like I'm being harsh. 
Sounds like I'm being brutal, but that's the truth of the matter. You don't need any more information than that. So don't be held back by what you don't know. Because after this, you know enough. You do not need to know everything. You do not need to run around in your underwear. You don't need to go overboard. You do need to do something. You need to do something. You are called to do something. Would you stand to your feet for us? Thank you, Lord. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.